fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. In full transparency, we tried the snack break. We did it before we recorded anything, and it was disgusting, and we're both about to throw up. It was a bad idea. But welcome back. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Just It gives you something to look forward to for our snack break. <sighs> I just smelled the spoon that we use for it. I don't know why. And she almost and threw I'm up there again. again. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Before all that, before we spit into a spit cup, mm-hmm. um, we're going to tell you about Tarzan today. Tarzan. Going back to the Disney side of things. Back to Disney. Um, all I, Ever since I heard, learned that we were doing talking about Tarzan, I've been singing George, George, George. <gasps> I sing that to George almost every I've had single that morning. Su- I've had that stuck in my head. Which is weird because... Who's George of the Jungle? Why isn't he it's, Tarzan of the Jungle? It's not Tarzan of the Jungle. Well, we digress. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to tell you about Tarzan, as we used to do well, whenever we did a Disney. Um, Lacey, you want to tell us about the Disney movie, and then we'll tell you yeah. about the the real Tarzan, the history Tarzan, and then we'll get spooky. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a picture of Jane's dress, which is yellow, which is what the color of what we just ate, and I'm still kind of <coughs> like, oh. <coughs> oh. Um, Tarzan... It came out in 1999, so I was nine. I was kind of too cool to be watching Disney movies at that point. It wasn't one. I mean, I saw it, but well, it wasn't one I watched kind of, on repeat. It's kind of a sad realization. It's no Alice in Wonderland. No. Great soundtrack. Jungle Book. I was Jungle Book, mm-hmm. so different jungle. And we'll, t- we, we'll do Jungle Book later. I'm thank sure there'll be. Thank you. I want to talk about feral children <gasps> in general. Actually, so part of this when we were, part of this, the research reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. But but you're right. That would be much better to do with, with Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Phil Collins soundtrack. Yes. Cody has tried to argue with me that the Tarzan soundtrack is the best Disney soundtrack when it's very clearly the Lion King. I knew you were going to say Lion mm-hmm. King. That's okay. Yeah. You, can, you guys are But equally... Cody's younger than us. Or no, you're, you and Cody are the same age, yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. So which team are you on? No. Lion King or Tarzan? Jungle Book. Oh, okay. The soundtrack? No. Okay, Bare Necessities, I'll give you that. That is good. Anyway, okay, summary of the Tarzan movie. Tarzan Disney. So it starts off, we see this baby, who we will later know was Tarzan, but him and his parents, they escape a burning ship, and they are what is washed ashore upon this island, and his parents build a treehouse, and for a while they live happily in this treehouse. Side note, there is this theory that the Frozen parents... I was yeah, also thinking about this. Parents from Frozen... Conspiracies. Are Disney his conspiracies. parents or something? I don't know. I don't know how that works, but anyway. So they're living in this treehouse happily until a leopard named Sabor breaks into the home and kills Tarzan's parents. I was reading this thing where the original story was that they were... Because the real story... Tarzan's mom dies of um, 
from something before the father. And so Disney was going to have Tarzan's dad in the treehouse with the baby looking at a picture of the deceased mother, like being sad about it. And then the leopard breaks in and oh. mauls the dad to death. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. That's, yeah. So anyway, now he's orphaned, but he is found and adopted by the gorillas and they give him the name Tarzan, which I'm pretty sure means white man or mm-hmm. something of the sorts. He grows up and learns their ways, become, but becomes insecure because he realizes there's He's something different. I'm different here. And that's one of the running themes of the, the mm-hmm. movie. When he is in his 20s, a group of researchers from England show up with the intent of studying the gorillas, or at least that's some of their intentions. The group consists of Jane... We all know Jane, her father, and the hunter Clayton. Clayton has some different intentions. Mm-hmm. Despite the warnings against his leader, Tarzan becomes fascinated by the humans, especially Jane, and they begin to teach him human things, you know, human stuff, including the English language. Him and Jane fall in love. They swing through the trees together, blah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Clayton eventually tricks Tarzan into revealing the location of his gorilla family, and Clayton and his cronies hunt down the gorillas and attempt to capture them. And in the chaos, Kerchak, who is the leader of the gorillas, is shot and killed, and a fight breaks out between the gorillas and the rest of Clayton's crew. And Clayton, him and Tarzan are up on these trees, uh, fighting on the tree branches. Obviously, Tarzan has the upper hand there. And Clayton ends up hanging himself in some vines. It's... Not PG. No, I was no. going to say, that's pretty dark for, for Disney. Yep. In the end, Tarzan is accepted by both the humans and the gorillas, and he and Jane go on to live happily ever after, and Tarzan is now king of the jungle. Would it, would it so you, when you watch Disney, this mm-hmm. this wasn't cool when it came out? And you I, kind I of liked it, it okay. Like, yeah. yeah, I like the soundtrack okay. It just doesn't, it doesn't hit me in the nostalgia guts like. Like some of the others do? Yeah. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I think I was maybe gravitate. Well, I guess I didn't gravitate more towards the Disney movies because mm-hmm. I liked Jungle Book. Maybe I just already had my my Jungle Story and I stuck to it. Right, because they are similar. Stories. Yes, they are similar. The whole you know raised by somebody else, mm-hmm. raised by animals, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, like most movies, this is obviously based on a book, and the book that started it all was originally published in a magazine. In 1912, it was called Tarzan of the Apes by Rice Burroughs. Um, this was a novel about a feral white child who was raised by apes after his parents died. So off to a similar start. So it was a book. So it was a book. Mm-hmm. The story was an instant hit, and Burroughs obviously like capitalized on this and had the opportunity to write like a two dozen sequels 24 sequels did you know there were uh-huh. 24 different stories of tarzan he was like i found my moment i'm just gonna go Which for I it think, i think disney has like three different versions there's yeah. tarzan I, jane and tarzan, tarzan and, and then tarzan 2 or something yeah but they could they could they possibly could make 24 they could it's probably they it'd be a good disney cartoon series oh i could see that like mm-hmm. a little netflix series maybe right now there have been 45 different film adaptations of the story obviously the most popular being disney's 1999 tar- tarzan like mm-hmm. we just told you about but even like george of the jungle like you were that's saying what I was, that's, that's probably what I was also thinking. inspired that's probably one of the 45 different adaptations where you know i think it's probably just that's meant for a more mm-hmm. adult audience i don't know how they didn't get copyrighted on that like you're uh, just stealing the story. I guess but. you just have to change enough to be able to claim mm-hmm. it as your own. 
Mr. Rice Burroughs was born in Chicago in 1875. He grew to enlist in the 7th U.S. Cavalry, but was discharged in 1897 after being diagnosed with a heart condition. After all this, he held a number of jobs, including working on ranching, ranches, prospecting for gold, and even, my favorite, selling pencil sharpeners. I imagine a guy just going just up hustler. to doors, like <laughs> a traveling salesman. Or Opening. the guy, the uncle from um, Napoleon Dynamite that's trying to sell those durable bowls. <laughs> and just opens a briefcase and it's full of pencil sharpeners. Mm-hmm. After reading several stories in Pulp Magazine, he thought he could write one that was just as good. That's what I feel like when I read I teen love, fiction these days. Oh, yes. Now, mm-hmm. not all of them are as successful as Rice Burroughs, mm-hmm. but, but go for it, kids. He uh, began writing under a pseudonym, Norman Bean. Um, you had all the names to choose from. All of them. He went with Norman. He was like, I'm going to stick with the food groups. He got Rice Burroughs as my real name, and then <laughs> Norman, Norman Bean. Bean. Beans and rice. Grains are important they are he he thought that writing like quote writing was a lark and that it was a quote silly profession for a big vigorous outdoorsman which he fancied himself to be okay that's probably why he chose norman okay bean he was like writers are nerdy so Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be called norman there you go not that rice is a much better name Mm -hmm. so then tarzan of the apes his story was released in 1912 and it displayed one of the most well-known parts of the character's origins. Yeah. So this is where Tarzan. So Disney took most of his Yes, story. Disney borrowed most of this. In the original novel, obviously there's always differences, but in the original novel, Tarzan is actually John Clayton the second, who is the heir to the title of the Earl of Greystoke. Greystoke. I guess that's where they got the Clayton name. That's where they got the Clayton name. After being shipwrecked, shipwrecked in Africa, his parents soon die and he is newly orphaned and raised by apes so very similar off Mm -hmm. to that part uh years later he begins the journey of discovery about his own origins he eventually meets the love of his life jane porter so these elements are going to become very central to the version of the character as would tarzan's like supernatural athleticism you know ability to fight kinsmen with the animals all that stuff Mm -hmm. in the book tarzan is intelligent and aristocratic not um, in the movie not in the movie also how are you intelligent and aristocratic when you've raised, raised by, by apes yeah i think it said i think i read somewhere that he <clears throat> he learned like once he started being taught he learned like in a couple of months how to oh. like speak eloquently and like sure i'm like no you can do a wish is a dream your heart makes we, i mean which which we can talk about all the psychology of that when we talk about the feral children and how that just doesn't if you yeah. if you're raised for 20 years in the wilderness when you with grow zero up, human contact, it's real hard to you don't teach just, an old dog new tricks. You don't just pick up the English language in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. But this Tarzan was very smart. It wasn't until early movie adaptations that they dumbed down his character to the me Tarzan, you Jane stereotype. Mm-hmm. The the kind of the simple-minded one. That's what I think of him as. Yes. Well, that's what I think the most popular depictions of him are. Mm -hmm. Burroughs claimed that Tarzan was inspired by classic tales and mythology. We love some mythology, um, specifically such as the story of Romulus and Remus. Which we need to cover because that came up in the Hercules episode. It does. It comes up a lot. It's like one of Rome's like founding mythological kind of tales. Um, The twin grandsons of of King Numitor, Romulus and Remus were sentenced to death by drowning as infants so as not to leave any rightful claims to the throne. But they were found 
uh, or they wound up floating down the, the Tiber River to this site where they would later found Rome. And they only survived after being suckled and fed by a she-wolf and a woodpecker. So they were probably one of the first stories of, like, children being raised by animals. Mm-hmm. Um, we do need to do a whole episode on that because there's a lot to we could unpack. I really want to unpack the woodpecker part. We could do a... Um, it's it's a, a pecker and a she-wolf. Put it together. What do you get? Romulus and Remus, apparently. Okay. Um, it was also said that Burroughs was inspired by the life of 14th Earl of Streatham, William Charles Milden. And this guy, William Charles Milden, was shipwrecked on the coast of Africa and spent 15 years between 1868 and 1883 living in the jungle before eventually returning to England to reclaim his title and his livelihood. So a real life. Yeah, so you've got a little bit of the the Romulus and Remus, some mythology, and then here you've got like a real life Tarzan character. There are documents written by Midland that recounted what happened. So there's some you know, first first person accounts of what happened. He said, quote, I was only 11 when in a boyish fit of anger and pique, I ran away from home and obtained a berth as cabin boy aboard the four-mastered sailing vessel, Antilla, uh, bound for African ports of call and the Cape of Good Hope. So he's so a little he bit away, older. He ran, ran away, away got on 11. a boat. And then it gets shipwrecked. Mm-hmm. So it was ship, hit, the ship was wrecked after a three-day storm, um, but this young adventurer su- survived by hanging onto a piece of driftwood, which eventually took him to shore. They say somewhere between Point Noir and Libreville in the French region of Africa, which, if you're wondering if this is true, there are insurance documents that prove the ship was wrecked. So there's so true there's, story, folks. Yeah, there's some paper paperwork that proves that this really happened. Mm-hmm. And he obviously was a little bit older than the characters in the story, like Romulus and Remus were infants. Tarzan was an infant. Mm-hmm. But he was 11 years old. Um, and so he was apparently 11 years old like when he got on the boat and when it wrecked. So this is when he stumbled upon the apes on his first day in the jungle. Um, they had never seen a human before, and they seemed to be mesmerized by him. He also wrote, quote, For some strange reason, I was not afraid of these strange creatures. They were hideous to look upon, but nonetheless seemed gentle and harmless. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're hideous. No, but they all, I, I, I imagine they would be intimidating because mm-hmm. they are big. So. They are. Um, after the initial surprise subsided, the apes began to offer him food. They would do nuts, grubs, roots to eat. And because he was starving, he ate it. He uh, said, quote, I was terribly ill afterwards, and the apes appeared to understand this. Um, one ancient female hunched her way over to me and cradled me in her arms. That's precious. I know. That kind of breaks my heart. I mm-hmm. mean, they're very intelligent and perceptive animals. Mm-hmm. So. The few times that I've been, like, sick and I've been throwing up in the toilet, Theodore just comes over and stands next to me. Yeah, and then you imagine, I mean, then you imagine an ape, which just has even more kind of human-like qualities than a feline. point something percent. That's what, that's what they tell me. Mm-hmm. So, unlike most film adaptations, um, Midland did not speak to the apes like Tarzan, but was able to manage his own form of communication via sign language of sorts. I think part of that's because he was 11, so like he already had his language, mm-hmm. so he didn't have to adapt to theirs, but he did find ways to communicate with them. Have you ever seen heard about Coco the gorilla? She died eventually, yes. but she was like 
did yeah. sign language yeah. and they gave her a kitten and she was the mom to this kitten. I love it. So cute. I think they're precious. By the time um, Mil- Milden became a teenager, he had left the apes and he was accepted by a tribe of natives. So he kind of migrated somewhere else. Not only did Milden become part of this tribe, but he eventually married five of the local women and had four children while he lived there. Just getting it done. And he later wrote that his one barren wife was speared to death in a ritual that the tribe performs to punish sterility, mm-hmm. which is heartbreaking. Um, Midland did eventually leave the village after his tribe rivaled with another one, um, and he left behind his wives and his children. Sounds like a great guy. Yeah, it's problematic. But Over, I mean, he was raised by monkeys. So. I mean, yeah. Maybe we, maybe we can come some slack. Mm-hmm. Over a number of years, he made his way 250 miles up the coast and eventually reached a trading post. And then within months, he was back on his way um, to Britain to reclaim his estate and his fortune. So that's kind of his story. That's part of the real story. And the real story, account. the real story of Tarzan by Rice Burroughs, his parents were also wealthy. Yeah. The, yeah. The Clayton, he was mm-hmm. like John Clayton the third or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when he... I guess remembers this or somehow learns this mm-hmm. when he can read and write, he decides he's gonna go back and claim claim his title. So Burroughs never officially stated that this story was inspired by Midland, but the two men lived in the same time period, so it's highly probable. I I can see it. Well, there's then there's also the possibility that if Burroughs did reach out to Milden, he could have agreed to keep it a secret because Milden knew that his memoirs revealed the existence of all of his, you know, illegitimate African-based children, which probably would not have gone mm-hmm. well with his family and would have complicated his will and mm-hmm. his estate and all of that stuff. Don't forget that one wife that couldn't have children, so I speared her to death. Oh, even better, don't forget that one wife that it could have been my fault that my, my guns weren't firing. That's true. But we blamed it on her, That's and true. then she got speared to death. Entirely possible. Maybe so his maybe, woodpecker, maybe she, her she-wolf was fine. His woodpecker wasn't, wasn't pecking. Maybe so. So there's possible, possibly he did not want mm-hmm. to be revealed that he was the inspiration behind this. Um, Jane, on the other hand, appears to be just the fictional part of Burroughs' imagination. Um, he probably added in. He, he got the story and thought, we need to add in a little romance. And mm-hmm. he maybe didn't want to add in the, the spearing, the spearing of, yeah. of sterile women. Um, and word has it that the fictional Jane was actually inspired by a real-life Jane to live among the beautiful furry creatures in Africa. So kind of like a reverse. Instead of real-life inspiring fiction, fiction apparently inspired real life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Jane Goodall has been reported as saying, silly man, he married the wrong Jane. Good old Jane Goodall. Speaking, Which, speaking of Jane Goodall, yes. our true crime story today involves another famous primatologist. Somebody asked, I was telling somebody about that today, and they said, what's, what's a, primatologist? a primatologist? I was like, I don't know, monkey person. Yeah, I imagine, I mean, somebody who studies primates. Mm-hmm. So. so stick around. It's going to be a nasty snack break. It Yes. Mm. See you in a sec. Mm. Today's snack break. We're recording this for the Instagram. I can't see your face. Sorry. Behind the thing. 
I'll, 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 I'll move my face when it's time to eat. Okay. Today, we it's a very unfortunate day in snack break time because I saw the viral video about this Kraft macaroni and cheese ice cream. Macaroni and cheese ice cream, folks. Uh, and I bought it. It's, it's the brand Van Leeuwen. They, all, they have normal flavors, but they also had pizza. Just be excited that I didn't also buy the pizza. I bought this, and on the way home, I started thinking about the fact that we were going to have to eat it, and I got nauseated just thinking about it. So, And when she just opened it, this is why I hit record early, and I don't know what all she's going to cut, but when she opened it, I, it looks like a block of frozen Velveeta. It looks like frozen Velveeta. So the, here she is. She's... I have a spit a cup. Oh, I have a spit cup. I also have you a spoon and one spit cup. I'm sure it's there's fine. a joke it's in fine. there. It's Two fine. spoons, one spit cup. Un- this is not. This is okay. <laughs> I'm gonna get I have a question before. Is are there gonna be like chunks oh, of soft. macaroni in there? No, nope. Okay, it's, it's just the flavor, and you have to get a sizable. That amount. is a massive spoonful, Lacey. I was. Okay, get in, get your face in there. Okay. This is going to be so bad. Wait, hold on. That's, that's, <laughs> that <laughs> smells like macaroni and cheese. Okay. Are you going to eat this whole thing? The whole you have simple? to put the entire thing in. That's what she said. Okay. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. One, two, three. Mm. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. There's a part of it I kind of enjoy. Ew. Nope. <laughs> it tastes like. Wait. Nope. Nope. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I regretted that immediately. There was a moment where no. it tasted a little bit like sweet cream, like really heavy cream. But then at the end, it hits okay, you with I, that cheese, and I'm I, getting real. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm getting really hot. Okay, I need, I need it. Can you open this? Yes. Oh, that yeah. Was, I, I will give you that. At first, all you taste is cold. Oh, hold on. and then you get the 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 cream, like she said, and then it's che- it's cheese. Mm. What would you rate that on like the scale of the most disgusting things you've tasted? Tim being the most disgusting. That's pretty high up there. I'm going to give it an eight. That's pretty high on the on the disgusting scale. I, I did bring you a present because this, I brought a flavor to redeem that. They I also have wild cleanser. blueberry and shortcake. That Hello, George. So we forgot better. to close the door. We also need new spoons. I'm sure George would eat it. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Just blow your spoon off. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Get that. Just get that. Absolutely not. Hold on. <gasps> You hear my TMJ? Oh, God. <laughs> Why did you eat another bite? Okay. This is wild blueberry and, and what did I say? Shortcake? This is chaos. Chaotic. Get you a bite of that. That's much better. Mm. I might need to go throw up before we continue. <laughs> I keep getting this like whiff of cheese, just Velveeta cheese. That's very blueberry. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't recommend you do that. I'm going to chug a whole bottle of water before we go to the next segment. I mean, but they're up there. Good no- job. Good job on your flavors. You 
you nailed, you nailed it. it. The flavor, spot on. The flavors are exactly what they say they are. Um, here's our the remnants. Nope, that's nope, a spit. That. <clears throat> and I am getting, like I yep. said, I'm getting the sweats. I'm getting the dry, the cotton mouth, and <clears throat> I'm gonna go chug a bottle of water. Same. Ooh. Mm. Stick around. We're, I'm sure we'll talk about more gross stuff. Ugh. I want to start off this second part by saying that that snack break was single-handedly the worst snack break we've ever done. Which we knew that going into it, but we still did it anyway. But I want to give a shout out to Dots Pretzels for <laughs> cleansing our palate. If you have not tried, what is it, D-O-T-S? Mm-hmm. I want to say D-O-T-Z. No. But uh, Dots Pretzels, their original flavor only. I didn't like the other flavors. Oh, I, Obviously, I like the other flavor. Huh? I like, I like the Southwest flavor. Really? It tastes mm-hmm. like tacos, taco mm-hmm. meat. Yeah. Anyways, this is obviously not sponsored, but um, go get some. They're so good. This, and the, it's the only way we can still speak right now because right. it's masked the flavor of macaroni and cheese ice cream. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I digress. I had almost the perfect Tarzan true crime matchup today. And I couldn't find enough information on it, so I had to look for something else. But there, one of the old Tarzan movies, the actor Ron Eli, who played Tarzan... His son was fatally shot to death by police after he stabbed his mother to death. Whoa. Yeah, and the police get to the house, and, like, 80-year-old Ronnie lies just in his wheelchair, and it's this whole scene. He just lost his wife and his mom. I couldn't find any information on it. I think the rest of the family's trying to sue the police, saying that the son wasn't armed, even though he just stabbed the mom. I don't know. Yikes. If, if we find more information on that, then uh, I'll let you know. But I was able to find what I thought was a good compromise. Tell us what your compromise was. So today I'm going to tell you the story, not a story. I don't like to call true crime stories, but I'm going to tell you about the murder of Diane Fossey. Have you ever heard of her? I can't say I recognize the name, but I feel like I recognize the picture you put on here. Mm-hmm. I think I, I remember that from so school. I think it, so I think it might like jog my memory. Okay. Well, Diane Fossey was a famous American primatologist and conservationist whose passion for gorillas ended with her brutal murder. And you're saying, oh, how do those two things combine? It's not the gorillas that murdered her. Okay, Okay, good. Okay. No animals were harmed. So she would spend 18 years studying the mountain gorillas of Rwanda and was known by its people as, I'm going to mess this up, Niramasilibai which is an African word that means the woman who lives alone in the forest. Pretty accurate because she's when she started out, she's pretty much by herself up there. But let's go back in time because it's always good to know where a person starts out to see why they, they become the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was born in San Francisco, California in 1932, and she was the only child of her parents who divorced when she was young. But her mother, Hazel, remarried a wealthy builder named Richard Price. He was pretty wealthy. They had it pretty well off. But the three of them were not close because just because money can't buy you happiness. You've heard it once. And divorce is hard on kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure she might not have Mm -hmm. liked the remarriage. And it was said that while her mother and stepfather had dinner in their fancy dining room, 
Diane often ate in the kitchen with the maid. And the only reason I really point that out is because you'll kind of see a theme where Diane is not a people person. Ah. Her first love of animals seemed to form when she began taking horse riding lessons when she was just six years old. And then in high school, she actually made the riding team. And, uh, but she also excelled academically. She was just a best all around is probably the award she got in high school. She then went to the university of California at Davis to study animal husbandry question mark. Not sure what that is. Probably has something to do with animals, but after two years, and this is ironic. Um, she switched her major to occupational therapy. Oh, she, that's what she you was, are. I know she was, she is an occupational therapist. Which, you're still wondering, how did we end up in Africa with gorillas? We'll get there. Husbandry. I looked it up. Uh-huh. Husbandry. Oh, hold on. Animal husbandry? Yeah. Means the care, cultivation, and breeding of crops and animals. So it's like... Oh, animal. I thought you were just going to say crops, and I was like, well... No, and animals. Oh, it could probably be like crop husbandry. If it's yeah, so just... she, yeah, so she was animal husbandry. So I gotcha. She was, yeah. There you I'm go. surprised that is not my degree. But nope. alas, I'm just an occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. So she found a job... Oh, hold on. Excuse me. She found a job working as an OT at a children's hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, now. I was going to say. There? there, she worked with children suffering from polio as well as... Why am I losing my voice? It's that macaroni <laughs> cheese ice cream. Oh, goodness. Children suffering from polio as well as those who had physical disabilities as a result of inbreeding. Mm-hmm. I don't know the scientific term for that, but... You know, Kentucky, there's part of the Appalachian, Appalachians runs yeah. through there. And there's not a lot uh, of people to procreate with. Right. That you aren't already related to. Right. So she would later write about these inbred children, quote, all are much younger than their years and are like wild animals pinned up with no hope of escape, That's which is very foreshadowing. Also quite depressing. Yes. Considering the animals she would go on to work with. One of her friends traveled to Africa and brought back pictures and stories to share with Diane. And she was immediately intrigued, and it planted this uh, interest in Africa. And she started to make plans to see the country for herself. I'm surprised all my pictures of Ireland and such have not planted that seed in you. That, that You don't know that? Oh, you, I don't? No. You got a plan, a trip plan? Am yeah. I invited? Yeah. Okay. Of course. I would love to travel. <laughs> It took her entire life savings, including a bank loan, in order to make this dream a reality. That's why. That's why. It's a little expensive. That doesn't sound like the smartest thing in the world, but she was passionate. We'll give her that. All her eggs went into one basket. Mm -hmm. In September of 1963, she arrived in Africa, and she visited Kenya, Tanzania, Congo, the Congo, Zimbabwe. She, She saw Africa. And along the way, she was able to meet the famous anthropologist Louis Leakey. Have you heard of him? No, but what a name. Louis Leakey. Louis Leakey. Is that how you say Louis? I don't know. Some people say Louis. Some people say Louis. Louis. So I'm going to say Louis Leakey. Louis Leakey has a better rhyme, like little rhyme to it. Yeah. He was pretty well known. He, he's the one that kind of showed Jane Goodall the ropes, who we just talked about in the Tarzan story. And Jane Goodall was the, uh, the chimpanzee lady, for lack of a better term, and at that time, they were in their third year of research with the chimpanzees. After seven weeks in Africa, Diane returned to Louisville and her job. But by this time, she was fueled with this new passion, and she began publishing articles with her photographs 
of the gorillas that she had taken. Occupational therapy just wasn't cutting it for her after she had spent seven weeks with gorillas. Right. Three years after, uh, excuse me, three years later, Louis Leakey just so happened to be coming through town on a seminar tour. And one of his side projects, besides his work with fossils, was to encourage research on the great apes. Did that sound right? The great mm-hmm. apes. The great, the, that kind of sounds like grapes. <laughs> I wanted you to make sure that I said that you knew I said great apes. Uh, just imagine this is a little nerdy guy studying grapes. <laughs> now, anyway, he had a theory that the best person to go out and study the apes would be a single woman with no scientific training because such a person would be unbiased about the behavior they witnessed, which, okay, I can kind of see that. But he was also thought the single woman would be best because they would be unattached with no responsibilities and would be willing to work for nothing. There it is. (sighs) With all of that being said, he offered Diane an opportunity to head a long-term field project to study the gorillas in Africa. That sounds like a... stretch yeah just in this single occupation you, no, that, that you have nothing else going for you in your life right now come on down that would be like sending me to africa i, no. I yeah she likes horses i like dogs she doesn't have any knowledge oh well she did study animal husbandry, <laughs> Crop husbandry yeah. so you don't know also also I, what was the he said they would be willing to work for nothing no that would no not, no, no. That i'm, would just, not be I'm just saying just see, oh. sending a single oh. woman with no knowledge of gorillas to the congo are, you also are married so you're not single right. that's not <laughs> you get the point i do sending me just imagine plopping me down in the african jungle studying no, we're gorillas. Sending, we're sending you to ireland to study um sheep sheep dogs perfect so before she would go on this trip, Leaky told Diane that she. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm in a weird mood. Leaky told Diane that she would have to get a preemptive appendectomy. And when I first read this, I was like, "Does what? the appendix like start to shrivel up when it's around gorillas, or do gorillas? Do they can they smell your appendix and like tear it out of your stomach? I don't understand that." So, um, so she was like, "I'm I'm down. I'm I'm passionate. I'll do anything." She goes and gets this appendectomy. But then just a couple weeks later when he contacted her, he was like, by the way, I was just, that was just a test of your determination. You don't have to actually get your appendix out. And she was like, well, Leaky, my appendix is, it's out. What in the world? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, just a side note. That would be, that would be a, a deal breaker for me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's already out at that point. Might as well. No, I'm saying I wouldn't have gotten it out. I would have been like, all right, you can. I guess it puts you at decreased risk of um, getting appendicitis in the jungle and not being able to take your appendix out. Mm-mm. Anyway. Nope. Diane returned to Africa in 1966 with the plan to set up camp in a place called Kibera. But after six months being there, civil war broke out in the Congo. The Congo, from what I've heard, is not, or was not, was not where you a very be. safe place. Yeah. Diane was taken off the mountain by rebel Congolese soldiers and held in a place called Rumen Gabo. And there it is said that she suffered immensely, uh, including molestation. Yikes. Because she's a single woman yep. that doesn't know anything about Africa, essentially. And you're just dropped in, in the middle of the Congo. Yikes. She spent two weeks there before she was able to convince the guards that she would give them money if they would just drive her to the nearby town of Kisoro, Uganda, so that she could properly register her car, which seems... Thawed. It doesn't seem like they would be willing to let her yeah. register her car. But they agreed because they wanted the money. 
and they they get to the place she immediately contacts the ugandan police who set her free but while in kisoro diane was interrogated and warned not to return to the congo she was then questioned some more when she was in kigali which is the capital of rwanda and she finally flew back to nairobi which is where she met up with leaky again for the first time in seven months and it is there they decided against the advice of the u.s embassy and diane would return to rwanda but this time on, the, I guess, the safer, air quotes, side of the Virungas, which is a, a mountain range. I'm not uh, like this leaky guy. Leaky. I, I, I don't want to say because I didn't research it much, but there are several articles about how he was a womanizer and he always put these girls up in hotels and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, Whatever. He's I'm probably not, great at his work. But he just seems a little yeah. sketchy. So in 1967, she made camp with the help of a Belgian woman who lived there, and her name was Aliette de Monk. You might be thinking, Belgian woman, that's random. Apparently, Rwanda used to be a, a Belgian territory. So, side note, Aliette had just lost her son and nephew. Sh- nephew. <laughs> nephew. She had given them a trip to Africa for their graduation president. President. My goodness, that cheese just in my brain. <laughs> president. It really messed us up. Um, but while when they were driving down to visit her, they took a wrong turn again into the Congo, not a safe place, and they were were arrested and killed by soldiers who thought they were mercenaries. Isn't that so tragic? Yikes! She, I'm sure she felt some guilt for making was, the wrong turn. No, for her buying the tickets for them to go to Africa. Oh. And it, yeah, they wouldn't have even gone down there had it not been for, for her. her. Yeah. Oh. Aliette helped Diane choose the area between the mountains. Karasimbi and Vesoki as the spot for the new base. And Diane combined the names of those two mountains, the Karasimbi and Vesoki, and she called the camp Karasoki. That's cute. Diane faced several challenges with setting up the camp. For one being, once Aliette left, Diane did not speak the language, and Aliette was her interpreter. Problem. Huge yep. problem. But you know what? Tarzan didn't speak the language. Yeah, he, and he became an aristocrat. I mean, an aristocrat. <laughs> Dang it. So uh, the the second problem was that just befriending gorillas is not an easy thing to do because nope. they are naturally shy and fear people. So she had difficulty getting close to them initially. But she studied them for a long time, learned their habits, and found out that if she were to imitate them, that they would be more accepting of her. So... For instance, instead of just approaching them standing, she began to knuckle walk, mm, just like yeah. Tarzan. The, the gorillas also, there was a celery type plant in the area and they would they loved it and would eat on it. And so she would just sit and chew on celery to kind of mimic them and draw them near her. And doing all of this, she was eventually able to gain their trust. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. In 1968, the National Geographic Society, which was sponsoring Diane at the time, sent a photographer named Bob Campbell to film her work. And his photographs of Diane with the gorillas made her an instant celebrity drawing attention to her work and the plight of the gorillas. I, I saw an like, interview. I, th- I was going to say, I feel like I, could, I would picture those. I would recognize those pictures. Yeah. In 1970, she even appeared on the cover of National Geographic, which I feel like is a huge deal. So she was She was, she was like time. a science celebrity. And even as she celebrated her daily achievements in collecting data and gaining acceptance among the mountain gorillas and the world at large, really, she became increasingly aware of the threats the gorillas faced from poachers and cattle herders. And although gorillas a lot of times were not usually their targets, 
they would become ensnared in the cattle herders traps and um they would she would break the she would get the gorillas out of the traps but the wound left over would give the gorilla gangrene and then they would get septic and die so Hmm. the poachers would also capture the baby gorillas and sell them to zoos and because adult gorillas will fight to the death to protect their offspring the poachers attempt to capture the baby gorillas would result in carnage and there was a story of at one point 20 adult gorillas were killed in order to capture just two babies. Oh, that's so Just a side note. I looked this up. Did you know baby gorillas are called infants? No. I did not know that. Diane and the workers of Karasoki gained a negative reputation by destroying almost 1,000 poacher traps in only four months. So it's safe to say that Diane's relationship with the poachers was not a good one and would eventually turn hostile. Diane created a special bond. This is so sad. With a special, uh, or with a, a special bond with a gorilla named Digit, he had damaged a finger on his right hand, Aww. hence his name. And because he had this damage to his hand, the other gorillas wouldn't play with him, which is so sad. What? So he found a friend with Diane, Aww. but tragically, on December thirty first, nineteen seventy seven, Digit was killed by poachers. And he died helping to defend his group, allowing them to safely escape. And when they found him, uh, he had been stabbed multiple times and his hands and head were tra- were hacked off with a machete, which just breaks why, my freaking heart. Why would you tell us that? I don't know. I don't know how you could look in the eyes of any creature, but especially the gorilla with their big brown eyes and just slaughter it. That makes no sense. Oh, that's so sad. After Digit's death, Diane's war with the poachers became a personal one, and she was increasingly abrasive and explosive and alienated many people. And her relationship with the locals also took a turn for the worst. And at the end of the day, like I said before, Diane was not a people person. She was a monkey person. I don't know if you can say that. but mm-hmm. So I was reading a Vanity Fair article that described this relationship best, um, and I'll just read you a quote here. In general, people are drawn to nature and become animal lovers, and that become animal lovers fall into two groups, which might be described as the Shakespeareans and the Therovians. The Shakespeareans consider man and his works to be part of nature. While loving animals, they have warm, positive feelings towards people, too. The animal love of the Therovians, however, is inversely proportional to their compassion for their own kind. Often their problems with people and their sometimes extraordinary empathy with animals can be traced to a lonely childhood. So going back, she ate dinner in the kitchen with the maid. Mm-hmm. She would just cared more about animals than she did people. She was a Therovian, if you will. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, literary references there. I knew I put that in there just for you. Thank you so much. Diane's methods of what she called active conservation were nothing short of controversial controversial and included physical torture psychological torture and even kidnapping so she does if you don't know the true story and like dig into it and you just see the outside oh she was a great conservationist and primatologist there were a lot of negative things written Hmm. about diane and we're about to get into those at one point she wrote a letter describing how she had captured a poacher stripped off all his clothes laid him spread eagle on the ground and lashed his genitals with stinging nettles. Yep. I would, I would call that active con- conservation. Uh, yeah. After that, she engaged in a, quote, black magic routine in which she combined sleeping pills and ether, um, and she, 
she would use this on them as a form of psychological torture, essentially just getting them high as a kite. And the the locals thought she was a witch. Yikes. Because they, they believed heavily in black magic and stuff. So Yeah, I would probably suspect that of her too. Yeah. Another time she put a noose around a captured pygmy. That was I think that's like the third highest uh, ethnicity in in the where where she was, it was a p- African pygmy. Anyway, uh, she tied a noose around his neck, threw the rope over a rafter, and threatened to hoist him if he didn't start talking. There were other okay, ru- okay uh, Diane. Yeah, she's got methods. There were other rumors that she had captured a poacher and injected him with gorilla feces so that he would become septic. This just like escalated. <laughs> yeah. Another time, she broke into one of the poacher's homes and kidnapped his child, his son. The son was not, the child was not harmed, but, but still, still, still. still kidnapping. Despite being a conservationist, she would often punish the local cattle herders by shooting their cattle, killing animals. And her mistreatment was also taken out on the locals, and many poli- people believed that Diane Fossey was a racist. Mm. For instance, she would not allow her African-American co-workers to go near the gorillas, as she stated she wanted the gorillas to fear black, <clears throat> excuse me, fear black people because the poachers were black. She was yeah. known to berate the locals and sometimes even spit on them. Yeah, it's not, it's not good, Diane. And I think all of this got way worse after they killed Digit. Digit, yeah. The ongoing war with the poachers and the local community took a health on Diane's health, like I said, especially after Digit's murder. Diane had emphysema from smoking two packs a day, and she also began to drink heavily and was visiting the gorillas less and less. So she's just spiraling. Mm -hmm. It became increasingly clear to her friends and her foes alike that her presence at Karasoki had become counterproductive and possibly even dangerous to herself. A Karasoki staff member drafted a letter to the National Geographic Society which was Diane's financial backer. And they described how badly run Karasoki was and pointed out the fact that the only gorillas who were being killed were the ones in her study group. They're, on, they're just killing to get back at her. Then on the morning of December 27th, 1985, a research assistant by the name of Wayne McGuire was summoned to Diane's cabin by her house servant. And he enters her cabin to find that the place is completely ransacked, kind of like the Tarzan movie when the, Leopard ransacks the treehouse. He enters her bedroom to find her lying on her back next to the bed. And there was blood behind her head. And she had been slashed in the face with a machete. She was dead. Whoa. She had human hair clutched in both of her hands and a nine millimeter handgun next to her on the floor. A small hole had been cut through the tin wall of her cabin, which is where the unknown assailant entered. Two footprints were found outside of the cabin which did not seem to be of much interest to the police. And that's that's really kind of all they got, or at least all that I could find as far as evidence goes. Hmm. A member of the U.S. Embassy arrived and took samples of the hair found in Diane's hands as well as a sample of Diane's own hair, thinking maybe she put her hands up to her head and pulled mm-hmm. some of her hair out just from the shop. And these samples were sent to the FBI as well as to a French lab by the request of the Rwandan government. And... Really, everyone's first thoughts led directly to the poachers that Diane had struggled so heavily with. That, that's where my mind goes. Right. Um, she's in this enemy she's territory. Got enemies, yeah. yeah. So, for starters, the footprints found outside the cabin were made by bare feet, and the white researchers were unable to walk around barefoot, but this was quite common for the locals. 
So it does, that does uh, lead lead towards the the locals or a poacher. On the other hand, there was money and guns found at the scene and a poacher would not leave these type of items behind. So kind of, the evidence isn't adding up. I mentioned the small hole cut out of the tin siding on her cabin. Cutting the tin would have been very loud, especially if you're cutting it with a machete, but it did not appear that Diane had tried to flee the scene because she was found lying directly next to her bed. Uh, I saw some people hypothesizing that this could have been because she was drinking so heavily. Maybe she was like like blackout drunk and couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It is assumed that the person who cut the tin was cutting from the outside in, but the evidence suggests otherwise because the tin was pushed outward as if it had been cut from the inside. Mm. The police then turned their attention to Diane's coworkers. Six weeks after her death, research assistant Wayne McGuire, he's the one that found her body, reported that he had found the skeleton of a gorilla and set it on a picnic table near Diane's cabin in preparation to clean it. And when he looked up, he reported that he saw someone through the window of her cabin. And at this point, he says he entered the cabin, which was now off limits. In hindsight, he realized he shouldn't have done that, but he was going to investigate what he just saw through the window. So as soon as he gets in, he says armed police show up and they supposedly catch him in the cabin, placing some of Diane's books and things into boxes, which Wayne denies doing, but that's what they, they nailed him for. And immediately in their eyes, he was a suspect. One week after the incident, Wayne is brought in for questioning, and the investigators were very accusatory and intimidating. They would shove him continuously and demand that he admit that he murdered Diane. They eventually proceeded to make Wayne sign a piece of paper, which he did not recognize at the time, but he was also terrified for his life. So he signed it, and it's presumed that this is an admission of his guilt. Afterwards, Wayne went back to Kurosaki. Things seemed to carry on as normal for several weeks. In the meantime, police turned their eyes to another member of Diane's staff. He was an expert tracker named Rolacana. So Diane was known for being horrible to her team. Not surprising at this point. Yeah. She once wrote of a cook she hired, quote, He does his work perfectly, but he's so rude and insolent. I hate having him here. At any rate, I told him he was on trial this month, and I've tripled his workload and treat him like dirt. Just call it what it is. Also, like she's just journaling this down, like mm-hmm. incriminating herself. Yeah. But many of the co-workers would take what she dished out because they needed the money. Uh, this was not the, the case for Rolakana. He was not afraid to stand up to Diane, and he would often quit, but was always hired back because he was an excellent tracker. The day Diane died, Rolakana was not even on site. He was at home with his family, but when the police came to his house, they found some of his clothes that were stained with sap from a banana tree and said that it was blood. I didn't see where Mm. they did any DNA testing on this, but Mm. after they took him in for questioning, his family would never see him again. The Rwandan government at this point hypothesized that Wayne and Rolakana had conspired together to kill Diane and they were charged for her murder. And this seems odd, like an odd conclusion considering the fact that Wayne and Rolakana didn't even speak the same language, but you know, they just, they just you know, made tar- eye contact Tarzan, and were like... Tarzan yeah. made up. So, yeah, you, point you, yeah, me, you, yeah. slicing the neck. Yep. Uh, uh, crazy could, monkey you girl. Could, yeah, you, could, you could probably figure that out. The U.S. Embassy was able to get Wayne out of the country and back to the U.S. before he was officially charged because they knew it wouldn't be a fair trial. Then the Rwandan government releases the news that Rolakana had killed himself in prison. Mm-hmm. Or at least, at least that was their yeah, story. Yeah, that's convenient. 
There was a prison guard who was interviewed and said that everyone at the prison was well aware that Rolakana had not completed suicide, but was murdered. He said that Rolakana had no means or way to commit suicide, even if he wanted to. So that's suspicious. On December 11th, 1986, Wayne was tried and absent. He wasn't there. Uh, The trial only lasted 30 minutes. The prosecutors claimed that Wayne's motive was to steal Diane's research and it came back that the hair found in Diane's hands was from a Caucasian person and was not her own hair. So they're going to try to say it was Wayne? Mm-hmm. They tried saying that it was Wayne's hair, yet they never took a sample of his hair or anyone else's hair. They, they don't... Okay. This is this is a, a botched yeah. evidence. They don't got... Listen, they're not doing detailed investigation right. out in the car. They're like, oh, pulled hair out. Mm-hmm. Must be Wayne's. They also pointed out that the footsteps that were found uh, outside the cabin, they also kind of trailed down and went by Wayne's cabin, but you had to pass by his cabin in order to leave the camp. It was kind of a one-way-in, one-way-out situation. But other than this, no physical evidence was presented, but he was found guilty and sentenced to death. It appeared that the Rwandan government was just happy to have the case closed. They just wanted to get it over with. Mm -hmm. No matter if they got the right person or not. Because Diane had become a constant obstacle for them, and she made many enemies. And it is not out of the realm of possibilities that they wanted her dead and orchestrated the crime themselves. I was just thinking that. You think they like they could have done it themselves mm-hmm. and just found the two closest people to her to, right. to pin it Escape on? Scapegoats, yeah. In some of her letters, Diane had described how she had become aware of an illegal gold smuggling scheme and that someone in the position of authority would be implicated in this. So she had written Uh, letters describing this to some of her friends. So again, you know, like she is not, she is not a paranoid person because let me tell you, I I feel like she just doesn't have the like social skills of paranoia. Right. Because let me tell you, I do. Because ever since we did the episode on Diet Love Pass, I'm still 99% sure the Russian government's going to come kill me. They might, but not Diane. So she was just going to take down everybody. Diane had also written a book, a very popular book called Gorillas in the Mist. And she was working on a film deal that would portray her life. And she talked about having evidence that she was going to disclose to the world. And this would obviously bring a spotlight to those participating with illegal activities. So you can see how it's possible that powerful forces at play would have wanted to silence Diane Fossey. And then maybe just like quickly wanted to silence the other guy, you know, with suicide mm-hmm. and then the other guy with the death sentence so that they are, they're, they're quote unquote, like mm-hmm. victims or criminals couldn't, couldn't testify. Like, yep. no, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It smells like a cover up. It does. In 1994, there was a civil war in Rwanda that led to genocide where an estimated 800,000 people lost their lives in that war. The entire court where all of the documents related to this case were stored was burned to the ground, convenient. which is very convenient. It is most likely that the person responsible for Diane's death is still alive or was killed during the war itself. 80,000 eight, or eight, no, 800,000. That's a, a large lot of possibility. Yeah. Wayne had to change his career and his name was never cleared, which is unfortunate. Diane was buried in a simple wooden coffin under stones nearby her cabin, and she is surrounded by the bodies of the gorillas she loved, including Digit, Mm. because after all, those gorillas were her family. Mm. She would be happy to know that the Karasoki Research Center is still open and that the number of gorillas since her death have nearly doubled. I believe they're still endangered, but they're doing better. 
It is likely that if Diane had never come to Rwanda, the gorillas would not still be here today. So she had some controversial methods. Pros and cons. Yeah. Three years after her death, Gorillas in the Mist, starring, I can never say her name. Sigourney Weaver. What kind of na- Where did that name come from? I don't know. Sigourney? Uh, Sigour- Old Sigourney uh, <laughs> starred in Gorillas in the Mist, and it was released and was considered to be a global success. I thought I recognized that title, mm-hmm. Gorillas in the Mist. Right. So her, that is, I'm sorry I couldn't tie that up with a nice little bow. Nobody knows who killed her. I'm leaning towards the poachers uh, or the Rwandan government. Yeah, Don't I come some, for me. I think somebody high up in there might have been looking to get rid of her since she was such a problem. Mm-hmm. And maybe if we find more information out on the Ron Eli, the actor. Who yeah, the signed, actor's son. Yeah, we could update you on that. But as for now, that's all we've got for today besides a gut full of macaroni ice cream. Ugh. If you uh, can you make Chase try that when he gets home? I will. Thank you. Ugh. I know. Mm. I'm still um I was gonna go to Chick-fil-A after this and get nugs, a five count nug with some macaroni and cheese, but not, I don't think I not, can do that anymore. Not anymore. We'll probably won't be eating mac and cheese for a while. Right. And uh, every time I think every time I see a gorilla now, I'm gonna think of digit. Mm-hmm. No him. other gorillas will play with him because he had a messed up hand. Bless him. Those gorillas are harsh. I guess so. Shoot. If you want to stick around for more Scary Tales, you can follow us on Instagram at Scary Tales Podcast. Yep, there's a link there. You can click it. Go get some uh, merch. We should probably make a digit shirt. We should. Aww. Justice for digit. Oh. And just two severed gorilla hands. <laughs> That's kind of sad. But yeah. But yeah. We stick, can do that. Stick around and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Mic drop.